we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, welcome back, dear listener. Episode 218 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. This is an Australian podcast. We talk about news and politics, sex and religion, Mm. all the good stuff. Normally the three of us. But Plus. if you're watching the live stream and you're looking at the picture, you would have gathered it's just the two of us. It's just, just the two of us. It's just you and me, Paul. Yeah. Hey, Trevor. How are you? Very good. Welcome aboard. Thanks. The, Paul, the 12th man. Scott is sick. He's yeah. home in bed again with a cup of yeah. hot chicken soup or something like that. Thoughts and prayers for Scott, everyone. <laughs> they don't seem to be working, do they? <laughs> don't Maybe that's seem the problem. to somehow. Yeah. I'm not sure why. <laughs> that's it. So, um, so anyway... Uh, maybe Scott is listening on the live stream and we'll comment. We'll see. Who knows what he's up to. Yeah. So, well, dear listener, if you, um, if you're watching the live stream, say something in the chat. That's good. We'll try and address it Mm -hmm. tonight. Uh, I mean, we started this podcast all those years ago talking about the role of religion in our Mm -hmm. political system. And this is one of the big weeks in that's in the scheme of things, because we've just had the government release a draft bill on, Religious discrimination. Mm. So we're going to kick off and talk about that for a little bit and then we'll see how long that goes for and then fill in with other topics that we've got. So, uh, so yeah. So, oh, you know, it's the theocracy is just warming up, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, just when the rest of society has sort of settled into a nice sort of comfortable, you know, mutually... Uh, comfortable arrangement of yeah there's some religious people and we'll let them have their crazy ideas about sky fairies whatever so long as they don't sort of try to impose it on the rest of us you know and we were getting along more or less weren't we but Mm. now the religious nutters insist that we must respect their crazy ideas you Mm. know yeah if if they don't if if we don't respect them they're going to impose stuff on us you know Yes. And that's what they're trying to do. They just want more and more. I mean, they're so motivated. They're so fixated and motivated and mm. wanting to promote their cause. Indeed. And they'll, they'll just push everybody out of the way to get what they want. So let's. Uh, so I wasn't sure how to do this because, I mean, we're talking about, you know, what could be a fairly dry legal document mm. and, and sort of passing our way through that. I'm not sure how it's going to go, dear listener, but we'll see. So... Um, I've got links to all this in the show notes when they're up, so you can uh, check it out. And what we'll do is we'll run uh, through some of the bits of the of the bill, the religious discrimination bill, and then make some uh, general comments about it. So, uh, kicking off really is the most the, the initial substantive provision. Paul is section seven, mm-hmm. where it's talking about direct discrimination. And it's basically covering a situation where, you know, an employer may say, I'm not going to hire this person because they're a Muslim or they're a Christian or we've got this group over here and we're just not going to let you in because you're Jewish. So a real sort of direct discrimination, uh, Section 7 is saying can't do that. Hmm. Thoughts? Fair enough. Look, no. if, you know, I mean, if it, if it was some sort of specifically r- religious activity, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Would, would, would you think there was a problem if it was sort of like a, you know, some sort of religious sect and they wanted to do their sort of strange rituals? Like well, our, well, our, our, well, we'll get, well, there is an exception. Our guest it's from just, the, you know, the ex-Mormon that, you know, describing some of their well, funny things. Yeah, well, good point. Uh, there is actually an exception for religious groups. So, so they then, can then, exclude people yeah. who may potentially disrupt just their, you know, going through their crazy rituals yeah. or whatever. But as a general rule, when it comes to, say, employment, in a normal... In, oh, you know, employment, yeah. Well, that's example, different. For example, we wouldn't want employers to be able to say, just not hiring that guy because he's no. a, um, a Muslim or no. whatever. Yeah. So, so generally speaking, we'd say, okay, fair enough on a clause like that hmm. initially. So... Um, I'll get on to my, you know, uh, what what problems I still have with that. But we'll just rattle through some of the substantive bits. Then Section 8 is is the indirect discrimination. So, for example, we have employment rules and practices that apply to everyone, but they happen to particularly disadvantage some religious people. So, for example, an employer might say, we have a staff meeting uh, that we hold late on Friday afternoons mm. at four o'clock, yeah. where we expect everyone to be there. And normally, not a problem for most people, mm. but a Jewish person, for example, mm. needs to get back for Shabbat and, yeah. and needs to leave early. So, so it's not uh, specifically disadvantaging them because they are Jewish. It's a, it's a rule that's applicable to everybody, but it happens to have a particular disadvantage for a religious one. Another one might be uh, a dress code that says, mm. uh, you know, you've got to wear certain things and because of religious sensibilities, a person might not want to wear those mm-hmm. things. Or even uh, outside of employment, maybe, you know, rules regarding riding a motorbike and you must wear a helmet. Mm. And somebody with a large turban can't fit the helmet mm. and says, well, sure, it's a rule for everybody, but so I've got a particular problem mm. with it. So... That's the indirect discrimination. So the Act also says, you know, if you're going to do that, then in a nutshell, it's kind of a reasonable test that's being applied. Mm -hmm. Is it reasonable for the employer? Do they have other options that they could explore at not too much, you know, um, disadvantage to the employer? You know, Mm. how easy is it for them to say, let's make our meetings Thursday? Mm. Not that hard, probably. Not that hard, you wouldn't think. exactly. Mm. So... So there's a, a sort of a reasonable test of how much is it affecting the religious practice of mm. the of the believer, and how much is it uh, how easy is it to fix? Mm. So that's the kind of notion behind section eight. How do you feel about that? I don't, I, I don't know. I'm I'm uh, a bit conflicted about it, to be honest. I mean, I think people should be able to. Uh, reasonably engage in their, you know, their religious practices mm-hmm. and still hold a job. Mm. Um, but there, there, there was case. There were cases uh, in the last few years of, particularly coming out of the United States, you know, of, um, for example, flight attendants working for an airline mm. who claimed they were Muslim or whatever and didn't want to serve alcohol to the passengers, things yep. like that. Yes. Yep. And they were saying that their employer shouldn't be able to force them 
to serve alcohol to the passengers because it was against their religious beliefs. But then, you know, that seems to sort of stretch it a bit far, doesn't it? I mean, if yep. they knew when they applied for the job mm. that it entailed serving alcohol. So why did they apply for that job? You know, yes. that sort of thing. Yeah. Yep. So, I don't know. What There's do you sort think? of reasonable tests, reasonableness tests that have to be applied. So mm. you could... And it'll all be depending on the facts at the time. But, you know, overall, why not, I think, try to say to employers you need to accommodate people to some extent. To some extent, yes. If the job doesn't essentially entail mm. doing things that they would yes. normally find objectionable. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Like if you've got a problem with alcohol, for example, yeah. and serving of it, don't apply for a job in a liquor shop. Wouldn't for you example. think? Yes, yeah. you know. But if it's a job where it's just incidental, occasionally somebody needs to handle alcohol and there's other people around yeah. who could do it instead, yeah, yeah okay, whatever. Like, yeah. uh, so in other words, the, the religious person shouldn't be able to use their religion to try to bend the employer to their, uh, you know, habits, yeah. customs, whatever. It's a case of give and take, the way this is, yeah. which is uh, worded. Let me see here. Um, for example... Uh, whether a condition requirement or practice is reasonable depends on all the relevant circumstances, including the following, the nature and extent of the disadvantage resulting from the imposition, uh, feasibility of overcoming or mitigating the disadvantage, uh, whether the disadvantage is proportionate to the results sought by the person who imposes the condition, um, the extent to which the rule would limit the ability of the employee uh, to engage in the employee's religious belief or activity. Yeah, it's all going to depend on the facts. So, mm. hey, if you can do some accommodation and it's not causing too much disruption, mm. you probably should. Mm. Yeah, okay. I'm okay with that. And maybe people who have those religious views should also be willing to bend a little bit. Yes, and I think that's Wouldn't what it's saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, here's the interesting thing, though, is... Uh, and I'll get onto this later when I'm complaining about this bill. But uh, what if you are uh, some sort of avid sportsman who every Friday late afternoon mm. has some sporting commitment that you regularly try to attend mm. and you say to your boss, well, I want you to change the meeting mm. because I've got this other commitment yeah. that I like to attend. Yeah. I mean, the boss is going to say, bugger off, like, hey, we're in 835 here. They? Exactly. Yeah. They'll say, well, you're just going to have to miss it this week. Yes. Uh, you know, or I'm a union member and we have, you know, we have a, 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 a union meetings 4 p.m. every Friday or yes. something. You know, if it's other walks of life where you have commitments that you'd like to attend to, your employer is going to say, bugger off. And so this is giving a special privilege to religious groups. Yes. Um, for what is essentially just a chosen practice or ideology Absolutely. that they happen to have. So yeah. we'll come back to that. I'll mention that as we go further on. So so direct discrimination, indirect discrimination. G'day, Jimmy. Thanks for checking in. Then we come up to what is Section 8, Subsection 3, which is essentially what's going to be called Falau's Law. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Our mate Israel uh, has got himself a law. Yeah, for well done, Israel. Mm. So... He wasn't even trying. Uh, yes. So uh, it's in this section because it's saying, well, if the employer is imposing stuff on an employee, or, you know, like show up at a meeting at 5 p.m. Mm -hmm. or 4 p.m. on Friday, mm. what's reasonable? And this section 8.3 is saying 
Well, in terms of imposing conditions on employees, uh, restricting their right to make uh, religious statements will not be reasonable um, mm. in the case of a large company with um, revenue of over $50 million a year, I think mm. it was, um, unless that large company can show financial hardship or a particularly malicious and nasty religious statement. So, mm. so <clears throat> unless you, the employer, can prove that, then you're not allowed to impose a restriction um, on, on, employee. on, on employees' mm. uh, speech, um, which is called a religious statement. There's a definition there for it. So, mm. so that's the Falau law. Yeah. And uh, I don't know whether rugby union, I guess it has a... And revenue over fifty million. Oh, a year. you would think, have, wouldn't you? I guess so. Yeah. Uh, so they would, uh, you know, had this law been in place with Israel still uh, running around and doing what he did, the rugby union Australia would have had to show on financial hardship, mm. meaning the loss of sponsors yeah. was definite, or that Falau's statement was particularly malicious, and by that I mean. They would have to show uh, – now, let's think about Falau because he was saying, you know, uh, idol, idolaters. Idolaters, fornicators, drunkards, yeah. atheists. You're all going to hell. Are going to hell. Yeah. So thinking about that stuff. Oh, and homosexuals. Don't yes. forget homosexuals because that was what everybody got <laughs> into, a, you know, a, of course. a frenzy about. Yeah. So thinking of that statement, would you have said that that statement is malicious or – Likely to harass, vilify, or incite hatred, or incite hatred or violence against another person. Um, but I don't think so. Do you know when he was asked about it? He mm. was adamant that he didn't hate homosexuals, that he didn't hate any of the people on the list. In mm. fact, he he claimed it was a, an expression of his concern for their welfare to, mm. you know, to save them from going to hell. Yes. yes. So from his stated position, mm. he was doing it out of love, not out of hate. Mm. So would they be able to, would that stand up in court? Would they be able to present that as an example of inciting hatred? I'm not so sure. I could certainly say that would mean it's, it's, it lacks a character of maliciousness if it was in fact meant to be instructive and, it was, yeah. Yeah, so. and it was meant to be instructive rather than <laughs> attacking them. Yeah, you know? well, he says that. But was it really saying I just hate all those people and I want everybody to know I, that I'm not one of know, them and that I don't like them and they're sinners and, you know, who knows where the truth lies? I don't have particular affection for Israel Folau, but mm. I'm inclined to believe, because you know, having met quite a lot of religious people in my life, you know, from a Christian, mainly a Christian background, I'm inclined to take him at his word. Mm. Yeah, quite possibly. So anyway, Rugby Union Australia would have had a hard time proving, uh, well, what did they have to prove um, it was financial hardship or particularly malicious. I don't think mm. they'd get the particularly malicious through, but I the financial so, hardship yeah. may be. Maybe. But, but how much then, then of their to, revenue mm. would they have lost? It's, that would all have to come out, wouldn't yeah, it? So hard to, hard that to would, judge, That would it? have to come out. So, mm. yeah. So, so that's the Falau law. So we've got uh, direct discrimination, indirect discrimination, and we've got Falau's law, sort of the essential parts of... of 
you know, what you're not allowed to do. And and what's protected. And the, you mentioned it earlier, well, what about religious groups themselves? Mm. I mean, a religious group might want to discriminate against somebody who's not of their religion. Mm. Mm. So nice if the Mormons, mm. um, you know, had a, a, a leaky baptism pool, right? <laughs> you know, and they thought, oh, well, rather than just get a tradesman in, we'll, we'll get someone on staff, mm-hmm. you know, who can keep an eye on the, on the plumbing. It's an obscure thought experiment. Continue. I'm, I'm interested where this goes. Uh, you know, would they be able to, you know, when the, the applicants came in, right. would they be able to say, you know, what if the, none of the applicants were Mormons? Mm. Well, let's see. What is the exception that's allowed here? So, and there was a guy who was super qualified, yeah. perfect for the job, and they said, ah, no, nah, mm. you're not a Mormon or yeah. you don't, you know. I think the answer is yes. They could they could reject him on religious grounds. Yeah. yeah, because what it says here is that religious bodies um, cannot be guilty of religious discrimination. So if they were just discriminating because of his religion, then the Act says under Section Ten that that, that cannot be discrimination in terms of uh, no. action against the religious body. So. Um, so that's uh, a nice big exception for them there. Um, so uh, what that does is, I'll just read a little bit of my notes here. So um, this provision will ensure that religious bodies are able to maintain their religious ethos through staffing decisions. Mm. So this is the explanatory memorandum that comes out with it. So this is the government's interpretation of their own act, which says... This provision will also ensure that religious bodies are able to maintain their religious ethos through staffing decisions. For example, it would not be unlawful for a Jewish school to require that all staff be Jewish and accordingly refuse to hire someone because they were not Jewish Mm. if that conformed to the doctrines, tenets, beliefs, etc. Similarly, this again is from the government, their interpretation of this exception. A Catholic charity could require that all employees, including volunteer workers, were Catholic and refused to engage mm. a volunteer worker who was not Catholic, yeah. provided it was in good faith and in accordance with the doctrines, yeah. tenets, beliefs, etc. So, so it seems under this particular act, religious bodies are able to um, refuse to employ people based on religion, but mm. I don't think they're allowed to sack them under this act. But they can certainly mm. be quite, quite discriminatory in their employment. Yeah. And there'll be... A future act down the track which will deal specifically with schools and their ability to sack gay teachers you know, for being gay as opposed to being non-Christian mm. uh, and um, whether they could... Uh, in this white case, for example, it looks like they could refuse to enrol a student but not necessarily expel a student mm. who was not of the correct religion. Yeah. Yeah, so... I dare say they, they don't even need a law for hiring people because they just, they're under no obligation to hire anybody anyway, are they? Um, are they? Uh, are they under an obligation to hire anybody? What do you know, if, if they get a bunch of applicants show up hmm. and, you know, none of them meet the religious requirement, they'll just keep looking for somebody. I mean, in, in, in any job, they don't have to give you specific reasons for not hiring you anyway, do they? No. I mean, there's this... But I guess, um, 
if somehow people found out if there were internal promotions or something and somebody had enormously better qualifications mm. and uh, they failed but were missing a key religious element, mm. you know, put two and two together, it'd be hard to prove, but mm. yeah. So I wrote some thoughts about how we should think about this bill. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'd like anybody commenting on the radio or, or whatever when they're talking. Keep some of these ideas in mind mm-hmm. is, what, is what I'd be doing if I get a chance. So I actually contacted ABC Radio Brisbane and said, yeah. and said clearly you're going to be talking about this at some stage. Mm-hmm. Um, give us a call. Oh, good. Haven't, haven't received a call yet. Mm-hmm. So, so the first thing we've got to say about this whole thing is religious people are not discriminated against. Like they're not victims they're in charge mm. and you've only got to look at who's in charge of this country. Mm. So Scott Morrison, Pentecostalist, Josh Frydenberg, Jewish, Christian Border, the Attorney General uh, says he's religious. Uh, Anthony Albanese, the opposition leader, said he's often said that he was raised with three great faiths, the Catholic Church, the South Sea Mark Dreyfus, he's Jewish, and the Governor-General, David Hurley, Raised an Anglican while his wife Linda is a Presbyterian, they both keep fit. Mrs. Hurley, Mrs. Hurley hula hoops while reading the Bible every morning. Sorry. But it's their faith, they say, that binds them. So these are the most powerful people in the land who are openly religious. You mm. cannot say that uh, religious people are being discriminated against yeah. when they hold or the powerful l- positions in our community. Or that they lack representation. Y- yes. At the highest levels of office. Indeed. So when Parliament is in session, uh, the Parliamentary Christian Fellowship meets fortnightly oh with about 60 members from all sides of politics oh. in attendance. More than a quarter of the total parliamentary members attend the Christian Fellowship. Oh and that wouldn't be all the Christians. Yeah, so um, remember we had the Ruddock Report uh, and after reviewing 15,000 submissions the panel found, by and large, Australians enjoy a high degree of religious freedom Surely. and the basic protections are in place. And Ruddock himself said afterwards, we didn't find a lot of evidence of actual material discrimination that would be of concern. Yeah. But where we did, we brought forward some recommendations to help deal with it. So, so they are not being discriminated against. And in fact, the, yeah, the persecuted are in power. Ruddock, Ruddock was honest about it. Yes. He said there we isn't to, a problem, basically. We had to conclude that way. He had to. That, that was the evidence. So, mm. so there's no pressing need for a religious discrimination act. That's that's point number one. Yeah. So, so we shouldn't even have an act in the first place because there's no need for there's one. Just no need, is there? Yeah. Really? Uh, this is just going to create more red tape and rules from a government that claims to be business friendly. Mm. I mean, when you look at people like the rugby union and the football yeah. codes, they're going to be spending millions of dollars on QC opinions yeah. as to what to do in future because yeah. of this law yeah. and like we're just more red tape. Yeah. Um, and for no net gain. Yeah. So uh, so I say that religion is not special enough to justify its own bill. So it's just an ideology. So if you decide, despite the evidence that there is no dis- discrimination, mm. that you want to protect them anyway, mm. then when you're protecting the religious groups, you've got to protect other ideological groups at the same time. Mm. Um, so the example I like to give would be, say, 
a communist or a socialist mm. is the same as a religious person yeah. because they're basically holding an ideology. Indeed. And uh, it's an ideology that a lot of people don't like, mm-hmm. but a lot of people like. It causes conflict and mm. causes division. Mm. And if you were a uh, – if you went to a job interview and said – uh, you know, I'm a communist. I'm a communist <laughs> or I'm a card-carrying socialist. Yeah. Uh, the employer might well be tempted to say, I'm not hiring a socialist because you're just clearly going to be trouble for me at my workplace here. You're going to be organising union reps and strikes and all sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly if you yeah. said that you were a communist yeah. because yeah. it still has a, a bad ring to it. Ex- it? Exactly. Yeah. So the chances of discrimination for holding that ideology are just as likely as being discriminated uh, for being a Christian, I would have thought. So does the communist get the same protection? No. This is my point. If you're going to have a religious discrimination act, when there's no obvious discrimination against religions, Mm. um, but you've got other ideas and you decide you're going to do it anyway, uh, if you want to protect an ideology, you should do it all at the same time and you should say... Here is, uh, instead of the Religious Discrimination Act of 2019, it should be the Group Discrimination Act of 2019, whereby do not discriminate against anybody because they're a member of any group if it's unfair. At least the communist (laughs) is following ideas written by real people, you know? At least. (laughs) Good point. Good point. Karl Marx was a real person. It's, it's the same, except it just doesn't have the yeah. the, uh, the supernatural, you know, ideology going, you know, behind it. So, and you know, there are other groups. Even uh, you know, one thought I was thinking was like a vegan, for example. Mm. Vegans are, uh, you know, they can be choice. very doctrinaire yes. about their yeah. their beliefs. Yeah, and when people say, "Oh, look, religion's different," it's you know, it goes to the core of my identity. It is my being. Well, I put it to you, I could find a lot of socialist, communists or vegans who spend more time of their day um, proselytising their views Indeed. and thinking about them mm. than a lot of people who call themselves religious do about their religion. Mm. Like, people can be quite rabid about these yeah. things and be all-encompassing yeah. and it's all part of their identity and who they associate yeah. with. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you can have a similar um, deep sort of uh, um, sort of... Identity issue with Indeed. other ideologies, not just religion. So it's not special. It does not deserve. It shouldn't be yes. anyway. Yeah. Definitely. At least mm. vegans, you know, have some sort of rationale mm. that other people can understand, you know, mm. based on real, mm. you know, material realities. Mm. So it's not just about some imaginary. Yeah. Guy yeah. upstairs. Yeah. So for anybody out there from the National Secular Lobby or any of the others who might be listening who are eventually going to be arguing these things, mm. the first thing you've got to do is just say there shouldn't even be this act in the first place. Like bef- before you get onto the nuts and bolts of the evils within it, mm. uh, there just shouldn't be this mm. act. That's 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 first step of the whole process. Deny it's, it's, it's a waste thought, of yeah. political resources yes. just going through the motions to, to make the act, isn't mm. it? Indeed. Right. But then, if we're going to have an act, we can't have this particular act because um, it's granting special rights to religious speech by individuals. So, uh, the Israel Falau situation that we've explained. So, no other discrimination law in Australia has this employer conduct rule. So, this means an employer could sack you for expressing 
uh, almost all views except those that are religious. So mm. the employer might sack me for a socialist uh, yeah. you know, social media post, mm. but I'd be couldn't sack me for a, a, uh, a post that was religious. So that just doesn't make sense. And it's yeah, just really inherently, doesn't. yeah, you've got to be consistent about these things. So um, it gives uh, special rights to religious practice by individuals. So uh, as I said before, a vegan by choice can't insist on vegan meals at an employer function, for example. But a vegan by choice of religion might be able to. So, you know, employer puts on some lunch of whatever sort, Regularly or irregularly at, at staff meetings or mm. after hours, whatever. Uh, oh, I'm a vegan. Make sure there's some there. Well, no. Hang on. I'm a vegan because I'm Hindu. Oh, shit. Now I have to. Like, come on. Mm. Just that's the sort of mm. uh, thing we're going to get into here. Look, I dare say most employers would go, you know, try to, to supply some In, non meat. But it's nonsensical items. to say, oh, because I'm vegan, Hindu. because you choose to be yeah. uh, legally, I, my obligations are less than yes. vegan because you yeah. choose to be, uh, yeah. you know, of a there particular should be religion. No difference. Yes, yes, there should be no difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and as I mentioned before, like an atheist with a regular Friday night activity can't insist that Friday, you know, afternoon meetings be regularly moved, mm. but uh, you know, a Jew might be able to. It seems mm. so. That seems to me inherently unfair. Uh, it gives special rights to religious organisations. So it, it recognises that religious organisations can have an ethos and it privileges that ethos. So um, let me see here. Uh, you can object to or discriminate against a religious person if you are a religious organisation, but you can't if you are non-religious. So... Um, so, you know, the rationalist society, if it was employing somebody, mm. uh, could not, but, uh, you know, discriminate on the basis of religion, but religious bodies can. So mm. that's inherently unfair. Um, essentially, if you're a religious body, a religious group, you get the exception that no other mm. organisations get. So... Yeah. Um, so if you are religious, you get to say no to other religious religions. But if you're not religious, you don't get to say no. To anybody, basically. Yeah. Mm. So that's that. Um, it also privileges institutions over individuals. So um, looking at the Josiah Falau case. So remember yeah. Josiah. Yeah. Israel's brother, wasn't it? Um, cousin or something like that, maybe. Who got, yeah, yeah. He, got, he was a high school teacher and yes. he got sacked. Yes. Well, he was a boarding school master and a, and a sort of a and, helping out. And what out. was the denomination of the school he was Well, at? it was Catholic, Catholic, which was the school that he'd attended. Mm. But he's since moved on to his... Fringe fundamentalist. His uncle's fundamentalist Protest one. Protestant church, yes. Made statements that were nasty about Catholicism, mm. yes. And so he was exercising his freedom of religious speech. So he thought. And if he had done that in any secular organisation, he could not have been sacked. Mm. But 
his employer was a religious organisation. Mm. So in that situation, the religious employer could say, on your bike. Mm. And so there you've got a battle between the religious expression of an individual versus the religious ethos yeah, of, of the an institution. institution. And the institution wins mm. because it can't be accused of discrimination mm. for religious reasons. So you could say to him, you're no longer of our religion mm. and we just want Catholics yeah. here. See you later. Mm. So, uh, so it empowers uh, institutions. And, um, you know, these are the institutions who are guilty of you know, mass child abuse and all the rest of it. We've got a horrible track record, but we're just giving them more and more power. Yep. So, uh, so there's that. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's cu- so curious. Mm. After all that we've learnt about these religious in- institutions and, and the crimes they've committed, that we just keep giving them privileges. Mm. Wouldn't you think we'd be taking them away rather than just giving them more? Mm. Mm. It's bizarre. Yeah. No, none of the mud seems to stick no. once we get past that it's, issue. It's, mm. really, it's really strange, isn't it, that mm. we still are expected to, you know. I saw Scott Morrison's Facebook page today and he's bringing in oh. some laws about, he's beating his chest uh, about how they're bringing in laws to make sure people who commit child sex abuse f- spend more time in prison, something like that, some sort of... Mm. American-style hard-ass view on locking up paedophiles. Mm. Uh, aren't we? We're getting tough on these people. Mm. I couldn't help myself. I wrote a comment, well, but you've got a cabal of these guys in the form of the Catholic Church and you're, you're presenting a religious discrimination bill that's given them even more power. How's yeah, that work? Yeah. So, I haven't checked to see if there's any response to that. Oh, they're probably not expecting it. much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Another example would have been like a nurse who, who adheres to the Islamic faith and is mm-hmm. asked to remove her hijab by a Catholic-run aged care home. So yeah. uh, if she was with a secular employer... Um, they wouldn't bother mm, about it, But uh, the Catholic one could um, force the issue, it seems. So more power to institutions. Mm. Um, ultimately, the effect of all this is going to, you know, harm gay and lesbian people Mm. and they're the ones actually suffering discrimination and they're the ones who actually have characteristics worth protecting and i've talked about this before inherent inherent characteristics that that, that are not chosen as a yes with no ideological content so um when they got protection uh, through the various acts, they weren't asking for the ability to discriminate against uh, straight, white, able-bodied no. people. So, um, and uh, I'm going to get on to... Well, I've mentioned it before about the inherent issue, but that's the other thing anyone commentating on this needs to try and get across, is that there's a difference between those traditional discrimination characteristics of race and gender and sex and sexual orientation, mm. no ideological content... No, no judgment to be made of people, mm. totally unfair to discriminate and treat them poorly That's because right. they just happen to have those characteristics. It's just what they are. Religion is an ideology and there's some nasty ones out there and there's mm. some ideas that you That's might very... say are morally corrupt. Absolutely. And you might say, I want in my personal life to now discriminate against that person yeah. because they're holding a really obscene view. So... Yeah. Uh, there's a difference there. And when there's a conflict between the freedoms and rights of 
those people with inherent characteristics in a conflict with people who are claiming an ideological characteristic, mm. the ideological characteristic has to take second place. You'd think. Whether people can explain that uh, in a 30-second soundbite on in a Q&A uh, question, mm. I don't know. But mm. it's a really important it distinction that you just never hear. Um, so that's the sort of the main things about the Act, really. Mm. There are other bits and pieces. Um, interesting. One little fun fact here for you, Paul, mm. just to add to your legal knowledge, is um, so the Commonwealth Government here is making a law as to religious discrimination. What gives them the power to do that? The people who elected them? Yes, but... Oh, uh, the Constitution. Mm. Yes. So is there a section in the Constitution that says... Well, I'll put it to you this way. When we framed the Constitution, mm. uh, the way we wrote it was we said, prior to the federal government, we just had states mm. who could make laws about anything they wanted mm. to. So when we wrote the Constitution, we said, uh, okay, we need this federal government and we need them to have powers that obviously a federal body should have. Mm -hmm. So they should be able to make power with respect to corporations, with respect to the defence force, mm -hmm. with respect to foreign affairs mm -hmm. uh, representing us in that field, uh, a whole bunch of other specific issues that were listed, mm. I think in Section 51, I think. Mm. And, and the Constitution said the federal government has power with respect to those things, Everything else remains with the states. If it's not listed here, it should it's be a state. power that remains with the states. Yeah. And guess what? It doesn't say anywhere in that list mm. that the Commonwealth shall have power to make laws with respect to discrimination on religious grounds. Oh. It's not there. Really? No. Interesting. Yeah. So, so are they introducing something totally outside the boundaries of the Constitution as it is? No, oh. because under the Constitution it said that the federal government has power to make laws with respect to foreign affairs. Mm -hmm. And Australia has passed um, laws adopting international treaties. Mm. And whatever the subject matter is of the treaty, the federal government says, ah, oh, well, we automatically then have power with respect to whatever's oh, in that treaty. I see, yeah. So if the treaty is about human rights... Mm then we now have power to make laws with respect to human rights Indeed. because we signed a treaty. Okay. So that's how it comes about. Yeah. That's interesting. There you go. Um, well, uh, let me just see. Um, uh, I think that's the main parts I wanted to get across mm -hmm. and we'll see how the dust settles over the next few weeks with that. And it would appear that uh, some religious groups are still not satisfied. Is that right? They're still, oh, they're still whinging, yes. They just yeah. want more. Yeah, exactly. But yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, we'll leave that and we'll get on to our other topics. So, oh. It's a big one and uh, mm. no doubt we'll revisit it probably every week yeah. from now on. Are people going to get excited about it? <sighs> Gee, I hope so, don't no. you? No. But they're not. No. They're not. Uh, exhibit A was our little street march in Brisbane, all mm. of... 250 people, if mm. we were lucky. Yeah. And Melbourne just Quite had a right. march. Did they have a march? Mm, same thing. Mm. And we got a message from... Got a message from listener Bronwyn, 
who attended and basically said, disappointingly small, maybe 500 people. Hmm. They're going to get this through. You'd expect a bigger crowd in Melbourne than Brisbane for just about anything, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. but 500 is still... It's still small, yeah. yeah, compared to what they're doing in Hong Kong. Aren't they impressive people? Gee, yes. I admire the Hong, Kong- Hong Kongese. Mm. Brave. Gutsy. Mm. Can you imagine having that totalitarian mm. state sort of breathing down your neck? Yeah. And they are going out and just giving the finger to that, to the Beijing regime. Yep. And saying, we do not want you guys to rule us. Yep. I just have so much regard for those people, so mm. much respect. Mm. Actually, yeah, um, yeah, it was on Four Corners last night, wasn't it? Yes. It was frightening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're full of admiration for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And mm. we can – and, you know, people just uh, – life's too good. People don't care too about what's going on because yeah. for the Who foreseeable do you future, going to win the final for the, the footy foreseeable final. future, foreseeable future, they've got plenty of money in their pocket and they're no risk of going hungry and mm. pretty much do whatever they like because mm. they're most of them are not gay math teachers yeah. uh, and and don't see um, the glint in Scott Morrison's eye. But anyway, mm. uh, that's another matter. I just want to go back. Um, one thing that struck me about the uh, religious um, freedom bill is. I think this is a good reason why politicians need to declare what their religion is mm. because this is an act which gives extraordinary powers or extra special powers to religious bodies. Mm. And if a politician is a member of a religious body... Then it's a conflict of interest. It's a clear conflict of interest. So they should be declaring whether they are... Uh, of these particular of exactly. a particular religion, yeah. in which case we need to know. Okay, well, maybe you're passing it not because it's a great law, but because it's favouring a group that you happen to be a part yeah, of. You're part which of is it. why we need to know about conflicts of interest. Yeah, it's like they're supposed to declare, uh, you know, shares in a company. Yes, that might be you know applying for a contract, a government contract. Yes, because there's a conflict of interest. It should be the same. Yes. So I was talking to Right Wing Tony about this, calling about some other matter, and I just said, oh, I just want to run this idea past yeah. you, you know, that they should be forced to. And he, he was appalled by the idea. Why? That, uh, he, he was like, well, you know, are you going to make union, all these union thugs in the ALP, are they going to have to declare their membership of the unions? And I said, uh, yes. They probably do already. Well, I said, if they don't already, they should be. Like, I've yeah. got no problem. Yes, they should be. Yeah. And then he was said, well... How can you expect people to just, you know, what's what next if they've got a if they've got a list what religion they're a member of, what, you know, they're going to have to list everything. And I've actually looked at the register of members' interests, mm. and there's a lot of obscure things that people uh, put down quite commonly. So that they're required to put down. Uh, Membership of any organisation where a conflict of interest with a member's public duties could foreseeably oh. arise or be seen to arise. Yes. I would have thought that includes religions if you're going to make special rules in favour of religions. Surely. So um, I'm looking at uh, Christian Porter here, for example, mm. uh, member of the CPA Australia, member of a harness racing at Gloucester Park. He's a member of the Institute of Public Affairs, the Liberal Party, the Northern Agricultural Society, the Sir Paul Haslock Foundation, the Society of Modest Members, 
What? Uh, he's a member of Riding for the Disabled Swan Valley of the Hills Rangers Football Club of the Midland Junction Poultry Society. I mean, so to right wing Tony, I said, these guys are already listing membership of obscure minor organisations that are so obscure and minor. Poultry fanciers. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's poultry. What's a modest <laughs> member? What's I a- don't know what that is. We, yeah. The, uh, what is it? Uh, the Society of Modest Members. He's a member of that. Guys with It's in the middle of the list. He didn't want to overstate it. So <laughs> that's it. Society of Modest <laughs> Members. <laughs> you could be onto something there. Could be. You could be. Yeah. yeah. The Society of Normally they're trying the to keep that of... stuff secret. <laughs> the Society of Modest Members. For They all drive V eight cars, I think. Sports V8 cars is, to yeah. make up for it. That's right. Compensation. Yeah. Uh, that's good. So anyway. If they're prepared to list, as they should, memberships of every obscure organisation like that, mm. please tell me how you can justify that, uh, y- y- you know, you should be listing your membership of a religious group. <sighs> and I've looked through a few of them and uh, the only one I could find of the ones I've looked at, when I say a few, like half a dozen, the only one who's listed membership of a religious group is Scott Morrison. So he has got here, member of Horizon Church, Sutherland. Indeed, yeah. For the first time in my life, I'm going to have to say, good on you, Scamo. You have, you have mm. revealed a potential conflict of interest, yeah. a membership of an association. And it's brilliant, Paul, because if people say, don't be ridiculous, nobody expects that to be listed, your religion... Well, thank you very much. The Prime Minister thought yeah. he should list it. Yeah. So you can all bloody well list your yeah. memberships. Although he's a little bit cagey about it, isn't it? Membership of Horizon You know, he says, he says, oh, I, you know, I, I wear my membership of this church proudly and publicly and he invites the cameras in when it suits him and when it doesn't, he says, well, my religion has no bearing on my job, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. So he's thank very you. selective about yeah. it. but... He's at least put it on the register. At least he has. Question from the um, from the chat room was: Did Scamo list he's a supporter of the Cronulla Sharks? And the answer is complimentary membership of the Cronulla RSL, uh, Cronulla Surf Lifesaving, um, Southern Districts Rugby Union Football Club. Um, Patron, Cronulla Sutherland District Junior Rugby Football League. How's that sound? I think he's... So he's, he's not a the, member of the Sharks. Uh, well, Cronulla Sutherland District Junior Rugby League Football League. Mm, yeah. It's not quite the Cronulla Sharks, but... Uh, you're right. But that's what he's listed there. Anyway. Interesting. I think that's a big one because, as you know, Paul... Currently, at this stage in the world, there's the most comprehensive list of of the religious affiliation of our federal politicians can can be found on, on the this, Iron Fist yeah, Velvet Glove right. Secular Index. Mm. So, dear listener, go onto our website yeah. and have a look, and you can look up a member and see if uh, what religion they are. Mm-hmm. So, 
Um, in fact, you're a trailblazer. Indeed, Trevor. and thank you to Woz who has yes. helped out with that. Indeed, so, thanks, Woz. Yeah, uh, let me actually while I'm here, let me just let me just um, see what the current state of play is with the secular index. So we, dear listener, can only rely on newspaper reports, really, where people have and, and googling and mm. Wikipedia and because they they just don't declare it. Yeah, so essentially we would pick a politician and type their name in and then add Christian or religion or secular or other key words and mm. see what comes up and just mm. f- try and find articles where they've uh, mentioned what they are. Mm. So Christian Porter, the opposition uh, – no, Christian Porter, the Attorney General, yeah. said he's religious, uh, that he believed in God, but he wasn't prepared to you – know, I can't tell you what religion. I'm just oh, really? assuming Christian. I wonder why. I wonder uh, why he's so cagey uh, about that. Um, well, a backbencher said, this guy can't be trusted with a religious discrimination bill because he's not religious. And he said, well, I believe in God <laughs> and I'm about as religious as most Aussies probably are. It was sort of his So statement. it sounds so, like suspiciously like he's not really very religious, but he just wants to maintain, you know, the status quo. Uh, you know what? Let's, let's find him here. And, uh, uh, Christian Porter. I'll try and find exactly what he said because I only put it in today. So, you know, dear listener, if you've got spare time, if you're retired or you've just got spare time, uh, have a look at our list because it's not complete. So uh, let's say Christian Porter. Mr. Porter has now dismissed a reported claim by one unnamed MP that he didn't believe in God and therefore didn't have a full understanding of the issue. And quote, Mr. Porter said, I'm not particularly religious, but that doesn't mean I don't believe in God, which probably makes me like a lot of Australians. Well, that's very interesting that he says he's not particularly religious. Because, mm. you know, exactly as he said, most Australians would say, oh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think there's a God, but I'm not particularly religious. I'm not sure. But, yeah, I just sort of live and let live, that sort of attitude. Mm. Yeah. So it sounds like he's along sort of in that camp a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. So I had to, um, I had to create a new category for him because I couldn't put him in Christian, which I, I thought he was in. So he's now in believed in God, but religion unknown. Mm. Uh, so, so far, we've got 155 unknown out of the current parliament. But mm-hmm. of the ones we do know, there's two agnostic and six atheists. Oh, really? After that, we've got two Anglican. We've got uh, a believe in God, but religion unknown. 27 Catholics, 17 Christians, one Coptic, two Greek Orthodox. Two Islamic, five Jewish, two Maronite, one Muslim, two Pentecostals, and one Reformed Church. So, uh, so lots where we know they are religious. Out of all that group, we only had two agnostics and six atheists that mm. we could find. Don't you mm. suspect a lot of them just put down what you know what what their family was rather than what they really yeah, believe? These would have come from statements that they've made in the media. Oh, okay. Yeah, and mm. often to do with the marriage equality debate where they mm. were saying, you know, as a Christian, I believe this or Yes, but whatever. politicians say that sort of shit all the time, yeah, don't they? Yeah, well, then they you just know, Because they don't want to alienate yeah. potential voters yeah. who might mark them down if yeah. they say, well, I'm, I'm an ath- agnostic mm. or mm. I'm an atheist. And we've sent out surveys to politicians saying, we're really interested to know, uh, are you... Have any replied? No. So, <laughs> Not uh, actually... In the lead-up to the election, I got replies from candidates who never got elected. Okay. And usually they were Greens who okay. would say, you know, 
and invariably saying they weren't religious. But, um, you know, we have emailed out to the current group saying, mm. help us out here, just keen to know as a little study as mm. to whether you're religious or not and don't mm. get any replies. So mm. it's hard work. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, I think I'm going to do a press release or something, try and flush out some people and say, mm. well, these people should be uh, saying what yeah. their religion is. Yeah. It's a legitimate And when concern. you get your, your own ABC um, TV program... Yeah, you can I'm ask gonna, them to their faces. I'm not going to get one. I don't want one either because could you imagine oh, rigmarole, like, yeah, the restrictions? You couldn't say what you need to say. You, you watched Q&A I, last night. Yeah, and did you enjoy it? No, I could only handle it for about – I really like Lionel Shriver and I could I only listen to about – Maybe you should have persisted it. because yeah. it, it actually – it ended um, – Lionel Shriver was was given the last word of the program. Right. And she actually said that she enjoyed the discussion and that she was she was gratified that the the interaction with the other people on the panel was and in her words, collegiate. Mm. Which and, and she thought it was quite a constructive discussion. Yeah. And look, to be fair, I was even somewhat impressed with Benjamin Law, who doesn't usually impress me much, because mm. he even see, seemed quite sort of um, conciliatory and, 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 you know, he paid uh, Lionel Shriver a compliment on her writing. Mm. And, and there was a guy from Black Lives Matter, the yes. American guy. Yes. And he was a bit, he was a bit more doctrinaire, I think. Mm. Um, what was her name? The woman. Um, but, you know, she started off by mm. saying that there's a real issue with the left in that it's missing the boat because it's it's consumed itself with identity yes, politics. Yes, and she's right. And, and none of them really grasped what she was saying properly, I don't think. So yeah. they didn't deal with the issue. Well, they, they became a bit defensive, you yeah. know. Basically, Benjamin Law and, 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 and the American guy, he said, you know, people said, like Lionel Shriver said something like, I'm so sick of hearing um, people say uh, white privilege or something. Mm. And he, he said, he said, yeah, I'm so sick of racism. That, yeah. I mean, you know, a really... That wasn't Benjamin Law, that was the black guy. That was the black guy, guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, um, well, Benjamin Law was mm. a bit more, uh, you know, he came around and mm. was able to see what Lionel was saying, I think. Mm. So I give him some credit, which I don't usually give him very much because he's mm. usually very, very identity politics oriented mm. is my take on what he usually says, mm. you know. yeah. But he came across as quite intelligent, thoughtful mm. last night. I thought, mm. look, yeah. you know, it was it was not the the most uh, gripping conversation I've ever seen on Q and A. But yeah. you know, they're yeah. they're pretty pretty dismal of late. Yeah. So we'll overtake them shortly anyway. Because I was looking, bar. I looked at statistics for the first time in a long time. And uh, what are the episodes going back? Uh, they're getting up now into the 400s regularly mm-hmm. and some over 500. So. Challenging the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast. Uh, well, well, this is our podcast. I said 500. Oh, we're getting up yes. to four. Oh, I, yes. I thought you were talking about Q&A. No, well, I th- hope they've got, yeah. So, um, so our, our most popular episode was 185, which episode 185, which oh. had, had 588 downloads. Oh, good. And was in the chat room. That was the one that you were on, mate. So he must have told all of his friends and they've gone on and oh, listened well to done, was. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we're starting to get into the f- – regularly into the 400s, oh, nudging 500 on yeah. some. So so yeah, so we'll, we'll be more important than Q&A at some yeah, stage anyway. At some stage. Mm. Um, 
Have you heard about the Adam Goods movie? Yes. Hmm. I think I mentioned it to you the other yeah, day, prob- didn't I? Possibly. Yeah. So, because uh, there was a re- there was a, a an article on the ABC News website. Yes. About it. Yeah. Basically, not in directly saying. Aussies are a bunch of racists and that's why it's not selling many tickets. It came close to it. <laughs> came very close, I thought. <laughs> I mean, basically, the, you know, they were saying... So, you so know, the background is, dear listener... Aus- Aussies don't realise how important it is that they go and see this so that they can then reflect on their own racism. <laughs> Indeed, that was it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this is, this is the, the basket of deplorables um, rule in action. It is. Like, this is where... You know, in America, they said, you white trash, racist shit, you know, um, and then wondered why they didn't vote Democrat. Indeed. Uh, And this is the same thing when the left says, Mm. you white racist pieces of shit, and then wonder why they don't come on board when uh, there are issues of, you know, indigenous recognition in the Constitution. Uh, That's not how you win people over. It really isn't, is it? You're just going to turn people away by insulting them. Mm. And, yeah, so they said what a marvellous film it was and at the Melbourne International Film Festival it had a 10-minute standing ovation. Great. Uh, But when it debuted in the theatres, it ranked 12th at the box office and saying that... uh, 12th? Yes. It got up to 12th. Well, in that week, (laughs) yes. Um, The Australian Dream, that's the name of the movie, is a film that's ahead of its time in many ways, but like Goods, while its heart is in the right place, the nation did not rise to meet it. Oh, so it's the nation's fault. There you go. So... Not the film's fault. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway... uh, you just cannot beat people over the head and call them racist and uh, dumb, insensitive, white racist and then hope that they'll come on board later on. It's just not going to work. Mm. Anyway, um, Indigenous leaders who have strong Christian uh, sensibilities, Paul, I struggle with. Oh, I have always struggled I with that. You, I know I mean, you do. You know, I. <sighs> so it's, it's, this is relevant because church leaders and community elders have warned that remote Indigenous communities are bitterly opposed to voluntary euthanasia. Um, Rose Elu, an elder, blah, 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 says so she recognised the compassionate argument for easing the suffering of dying people, but the taking of human life would offend the deep sense of spirituality and Christian faith permeating. Remote Indigenous communities. What a load of absolute, utter rubbish. Quote, because of the strength and wisdom of our faith, we feel that when the time comes for someone to depart, that is in God's hands. Oh, dear. Um, Which God? It would be very difficult for the people to understand why you would do this, why you would take action to cause someone to die. It is not our way. Which way? <laughs> well, this is the fun. The way that the way that when you know somebody was in the wrong place at the wrong time, particularly a female, they'd get a lump of wood over the head. Yeah, this is the interesting one where uh, you know uh, Aboriginal Dreamtime spiritualism uh, gets a free run, yeah. whereas Christianity gets beaten over the head. The 
normal left, and we're talking about quite, the Greens Party. Now. Yes, we and are. this is one of my it, strong indeed, objections to be, the Greens. Would be quite sympathetic to uh, Indigenous yes, spirituality, spirituality, and scathing and unsympathetic as to Christianity. Yes, and it's possible that on with this sort of issue, they mm. would they would have some sort of yeah. Mind-altering experiences. One part of their brain has yeah. to say that form of spirituality is completely nuts, and the other form uh, must should be respected. And how do and they? How did these Aboriginal Christians reconcile <laughs> the idea of this? You know, this guy being sent down, you know, to Earth in the Middle East mm. and being, you know, executed by Romans, all the rest of it, with their Dreamtime stories. They're totally. Uh, Incompatible, as far as I can tell. Look, if you can rec- reconcile the Holy Trinity, you can reconcile anything. Yeah. I think. Look, I, 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 I uh, had a, an encounter with a, an ex-missionary once in my, in a former job, and he used to work in Africa, you know, and you know he did it out of his, you know, sincerely held beliefs. I'll give him that. Mm. But you know, I said to him one day, all you did was replace one set of spooks with another set of spooks. How'd that go down? Uh, not very well, but, you know. <laughs> right. He didn't engage me in an argument. Right. He, yeah. he probably couldn't be bothered or yeah. he didn't think he was going to get anywhere with me or, yeah. and that he was probably right. But yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean? Mm. So they go out there with these supernatural concepts and ideas mm. Mm. and they persuade people, you know, of usually, you know, animist-type belief systems that their beliefs are evil and they're the work of the devil and let's replace them with these other supernatural ideas which are somehow better, yeah. you know? And it's all just yeah. make-believe, the same kind of make-believe. Yeah. But I just love the way that the traditional left will respect and oh, cherish yeah. the Don't spiritualism of the Indigenous culture yeah. but not... It's the romanticising of Indigenous people everywhere yes. and they all get it. They, yes. It doesn't matter, you know, how crazy or how brutal or barbaric yes. their traditional beliefs are yes. you know like the aztecs yes. for goodness mm. sake do the greens think the aztecs had a perfect you know spiritual right to mm. rip people's hearts out you mm. know mm. i mean it's it's this romanticization of indigenous cultures everywhere and mm. it's it's been going on for a long time of mm. course but they have this idealized notion mm. of traditional indigenous life mm. anyway it that that must cause a conundrum for people you know it's well, as people would have gathered over four years when we're discussing things, it's, mm. it's about consistency mm. of thought. If you Indeed. hold a, a thought on a particular issue and another issue, change the names but the concepts are all the same, then mm. you must hold the same thought process. Mm. Uh, and so many people are able to somehow not hold on to that. So, mm. uh, so you, it's a bit you know, like- I, 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 I have... I'd have more respect for somebody who who has reverence for the indigenous spirituality and the Christian spirituality. Mm, absolutely. Um, but if you're going to take one and not the other, then you've got to clearly it's, you've got a um, an it's a lack of consistency. Yeah, yeah. Intellectually dishonest. It's a bit like uh, say a, a, a geneticist, a genetic scientist. Mm who compartmentalizes their religious belief, you know, yes. they, they know that, you know, evolution is obviously true because they've been studying genetics yes. and it's all, you know, genetic science basically bears out the, the, the mm. truth of mm. evolutionary theory and yet they still 
somehow compartmentalize this separate idea that yeah god's real and mm. you know jesus was the savior and all this sort of stuff you know yeah. they just put it away into a separate little compartment yeah well there were astronauts in space stations Indeed. looking down who who looked at the earth and said oh you can clearly see signs of the great flood oh really yes the great flood yes from space yes like, looking oh. down it's it's just obvious oh. you know? yeah Okay. And, and then others, I remember one guy who also became a Catholic uh, a few months before heading up into space and, and oh. organised for his Catholic priest to consecrate some oh. wafers into the body and blood of Christ and oh, took really? that up with him so he could serve himself communion on oh, Sundays dear. up there. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Mm. But, you know, just getting back to this uh, Indigenous one with the voluntary assisted dying, you know, the whole point of it is, well, if you don't want it, don't avail yourself of it. Exactly. But let everybody else, if they want to, like, yeah. just if you don't want it, don't take it. Mm. But get out of the road while the rest of us do what we want to do. Indeed. So, yeah. But that's you know, pretty pretty much the same with a lot of religions, isn't mm. it? That they think they are so much more correct mm. than everybody else yes. that they have a right to impose their ideas on everybody else. Indeed. Yeah. Right. Um, Queensland is looking into... The abyss. Uh, the, the abyss, and well, Palaszczuk is, yes. Um, uh, confession laws. So it looks like oh, okay. they're looking at uh, changing... Obliging yes, priests to... Uh, inform reveal. authorities yeah. if they learn of crimes, especially yeah. child sex abuse yeah. during confession. So uh, we'll see how that pans out and... If you're wondering how does that work around Australia, so at the moment, Queensland, this is confession laws. At the moment, Western Australia and Queensland, laws are being drafted. Uh, in Victoria and Tasmania, I think they're currently debating. Uh, in mm. South Australia and the ACT, priests must report. In New South Wales, it's historic abuse only. And in the Northern Territory, there's a confusing conflict of law, I think. So, Why historic yeah. abuse only? I don't know. It's... Some mixed bag going on there. So, speaking of New South Wales, mm. just learned before you arrived that, say, so their abortion the Blues law. Blues have a new coach. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, abortion law. So, it got through the lower house and they delayed it before going to the upper house. That's and right. now yeah, yeah. a couple of government upper house members have declared they're going to abandon the government if Seriously. the law is not the proposed law is not changed abandoned in what sense quit, uh, quit the party the cross, they belong to, to yes go to the cross benches and not support uh, but only on that vote well no uh, i think permanently then oh. like they'll say we're just leaving the government okay. we'll sit permanently on the cross benches if you don't amend this abortion mm. law to uh, prohibit gender selection as one thing but so. of course they then jeopardize their chances of re-election don't they? If they if they leave the government, the government won't support them as candidates in, at the next election. Yes, uh, and um, when asked by event moderator Reverend David Ould if she would be committing a political suicide uh, by moving to the crossbench, Mrs. Davies said yes. And as we know, Paul, uh, Christians love nothing better than to be martyrs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've proved yourself. You know yeah. it's. It's like an Islamist strapping on a a, a, a jihadist strapping on a suicide vest. Like oh, they just yeah. love a being a martyr. Yeah. yeah. So we, of course, in our current environment in politics in Australia, 
uh, we're going through the strong Christian personality phase in our politics. So I've got a link to an article that basically said that um, Australia with politics and religion has gone through three phases. There was the sectarian phase when Labor was primarily Catholic mm. and Liberals were Protestant. Mm. Um, then there was a Catholic migration to the Liberal Party, mm. which came about during the collapse of the DLP. And in and also the, with the... In, uh, when was that? In the 1960s? 50s, yeah. Yep. So there was a yep, 50s and 60s. Mm. And as... Uh, Catholics moved from working class to middle class. Mm -hmm. Then they began to associate with the liberals. Mm. And this guy in the article says that we're now in the strong Christian personality phase where politicians from both parties come out to wear their faith on their sleeves. Mm. Uh, like we're in that, yeah, yeah, We are in that phase for sure. Mm. Not a good phase to be in. I just wish more non-believers would wear their non-belief on their sleeve, don't you? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, you might argue that it's not really relevant. If you don't believe in something, it's not relevant to go around saying, I don't believe in that, because it becomes irrelevant. Mm. But in, in terms of legislation like this, I think it's quite relevant. Mm. There's the whole problem with the secular atheist movement in that it's a, it's a we're not that, and just... I think people need to be more of a pro-movement, which I mm, think maybe... Pro-secularism. Well, maybe humanism mm. is more pro-human, yeah. which, which encompasses abandonment of supernatural yeah. and it includes, a, you know, embrace of secularism. Indeed. But it also has a positive element in its... It's the sort of embrace of the wonder of mankind and, yes. the, and the willingness and... Uh, and desire to improve the lot of yes. mankind and humanity. So what is the difference? So, the difference is when you join a religion, you, you become yeah. tribal about it. Yes. Whereas humanists are just not tribalistic about their humanism. No, but they've got more chance of being tribalistic than, say, atheists or secularists, mm. I think. Trying to get them to agree on yeah. something is like, you know, the old... Herding cats. That's right. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, it's the eternal conundrum, that one, of, okay. of, of getting people motivated. Mm. Right. Um, primary ethics. Have you heard of primary mm, ethics in New South they Wales? They operate in New South Wales, yeah, mm. as a, an alternative activity mm. for kids whose parents don't want them attending special religious instruction. Yep. So that's how they came about. It was because um, there'd be these classes where religious teachers would be coming in mm. and would be giving Bible lessons mm. to kids. And to provide an alternative, primary ethics gathered together volunteers mm. and said, let's go in and teach an ethics course, mm. which I've seen some of the material. I quite like the material mm. in the course. Like it provided kids with just different um, ethical conundrums yeah, and, which surely and is... gave them decision-making sort of... Yeah, which um, is a, a good, healthy thing for kids to, to encounter, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, indeed. But I always maintain right from the beginning that the problem with that whole idea of primary ethics is it relies on volunteers mm -hmm. and it's, it's saying that it's okay for outsiders who are not part of the education department to come oh, into schools... Yeah. 
and teach kids Who are whatever they want. Trained, qualified teachers. Exactly. Yeah. And that inevitably the Christian groups will just outnumber them because mm. they're far more motivated. Mm. So so by um, so so that program basically says what the Christian groups are doing is fine. They just happen to choose Christianity as what they want to teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're doing is fine. We happen to be teaching primary ethics. In other words, not and, in conflict, not in competition. And not, and not seeking to close down mm. the uh, religious instruction. Yeah. And I saw a thing where basically it's become evident that primary ethics is trying to get into schools where there is no existing religious instruction. Oh, so they're coming in uh, to provide that not as an alternative to religious instruction but just because they want to get in there. Mm. And uh, I think the local – I don't want to speak for them, but I think the local group like um, Queensland Parents for Secular State Schools and Ferris down south mm, basically have said, what the hell are you doing? Stop mm. that. You know, like mm. – you're only tolerable if you're offering an alternative and even then you're just giving a green light to these guys. Yes. And uh, so I think they're in conflict with primary yes, ethics. And, yes, I see the point. Yeah. Mm. So what do you think on that then? Should Look, I, I think um, ethics should be a part of their, you know, every, every child's social education uh, curriculum, wouldn't you think? I mean, it's something, something that uh, helps them to explore... The history of philosophy, mm. you know, and not only Western philosophy, philosophy in general, you know, Western, Eastern, whatever, but give them some sort of basic understanding mm. of, you know, what it is to, to, to think about life, the meaning of life, the meaning of existence, all those things, mm. which surely is what religions in some way, in some clumsy way do. Mm. Mm. But I think it would be altogether to, to everybody's... Um, great benefit to society's great benefit to have more deep thinking children growing up to be more deep thinking adults mm. yep unfortunately we're a long way from that happening yeah look I, I i should mention you know my son did a class in logic and philosophy mm. in the last two years of high school and he told me it was his favorite class yes he loved it yeah mm. I keep mentioning it occasionally. I really like like the idea of the secular confirmation ceremony. Mm. So in the that, Scandinavian countries, it was Iceland, wasn't it? Yeah, there's a few different Scandinavian oh, do they have countries. It there too? Yeah, do it where where basically kids as they're getting into that 15, 16 year old a rite age, of passage. Yes. yes, becoming adults. Yes, and something that helps them sort of feel yes. I'm an adult now, or at least I'm on yes. the cusp of adulthood, yes. and that brings with it certain responsibilities and and maybe privileges as well, you know, yeah. of adulthood. Yeah. To to help them appreciate things a bit more and to think a bit more deeply about those things. Yes. So it'd be great to have some secular confirmation ceremony yeah. that grabbed kids when they're sixteen and, and said. Uh, you may not have been taught this at school, but yeah. here's some really important ideas yeah. um, uh, about how to think about the world. And by the way, you know, here's how the media is completely misleading you in different ways. And, mm. and here's just some 
things mm. to be aware of, a whole range of things. So yeah. it'd be nice if... Look, the me- yeah. media would be probably covered in social education anyway. They, Maybe. They do yeah. study stuff like that sometimes. Mm. Right. But look, it brings to mind the in- our Indigenous brothers and sisters and how attached they are to their coming-of-age coming ceremonies, you know? Right. And as we know, some of them are a little bit physically brutal. Right. You know, the... Uh, I'm the not familiar with an Indigenous... Circumcision oh, for okay. young, right. young boys, you know? Okay. That, that we've been okay, over in okay. previous episodes <laughs> right. and the, the details are a bit uh, horrendous. But, okay. um, but they still have a great attachment to that. You know, it has yeah. a great significance for them in their yeah. society, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Whereas for us growing up, what did we have <laughs> in terms of coming of age? Yeah, nothing. Nothing really. No. You know? Coming of age was getting to the pub for the first time, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. That was your coming of age. Well, you and know. getting your driver's licence. The first, your, the getting first your driver's licence is your coming of age, yeah, I suppose. Maybe. Or the first time you got drunk. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, here's a good one, 12th man. Might be the one we finish on, not sure. But um, female engineering students. That was interesting, wasn't mm, it? University of Technology, Sydney. Yeah. Um, to reduce the gender imbalance within engineering yeah. are going to reduce its ATAR requirements by 10 points for female students. Um, civil engineer and Victorian general manager of engineers, Alesha Prince, said it would send a message to women that they were welcome in the field. And this 10-point adjustment was recently approved by the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Board. And UTS Director of Women in Engineering and IT, Dr Artie Agarwal, explained nobody would be getting a free pass. And once admitted to the course, women would have to meet all its requirements. What do you think of that, Tothman? Once admitted to the course? Yes. Yes. I don't know. I'm a bit lost for words because obviously it's discriminatory. Mm. What about all those those boys, those you know high school boys who are working their guts out to get into engineering, mm. and they don't make the cut, and their classmate, who was not achieving to the same level, was accepted. Mm. Can you imagine the resentment? That that would build up, and mm. also, you know, somebody I think made the point on a on a, a page I was looking at the other day that um, would not employers in the future sort of, you know, be, be sort of thinking I think any any I'd, female applicant right. would be potentially less well less skilled or less well qualified. To, to be an engineer. But wouldn't they just look at the GPA on their, on their degree? They would. they would, of course. So they would just look at it and just... Yeah. So they still have to pass the same exams to yeah. graduate. Yeah. But it's, it's just unfair. Uh, it, it, it sort of weeds out potentially better qualified applicants, doesn't it? It does From indeed. the course. It does indeed. I mean, there should be no sexual basis at all for anything yes. like that, particularly something technical like engineering. Can't, I mean, we just, can't we just accept that there are less women in engineering because it's less appealing? Or just let them choose whatever course they want to go into, right. for goodness sake. Right. You know, yep. without sort of enticing them into something that they may not have applied for anyway. Yeah. Because yeah. we have uh, talked about something similar about uh, female engineers, even though there's less of them. On average... Fewer. uh, Yes, thank you, even though there are fewer. Yes. Uh, On average, they 
have uh, far better social skills. So female qualified engineers end up with more choices than male engineers. Is that true? Yes. Because they've got higher social skills, they can uh, more easily move into non-technical areas and more managerial or other areas than men. Mm. Uh, Well, you'd have to admit that, look, we've said on average just females aren't interested in engineering, but on average the ones who are also come equipped on average with better social skills. Yeah. So On average, but not necessarily. Of course, on average. So you could mount an argument, well... That's also unfair because um, they've, they've come equipped with these extra, you know, special skills that the guys don't have. But anyway. But are they relevant to engineering? Uh, not really. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of engineers, as with most degrees, end up not really doing engineering, you know, 10, 15 years down the track. They've moved into management anyway. That's, mm. why, that's why MBAs were invented, because engineers uh, ended up in management mm. – but they had no idea of accounting or, yeah. or basic management principles. Yeah. So MBAs were, invi- mm. were invented yeah. for engineers who were in management. Yeah. So, but um, I think we need to look at what happened in the United States in the universities there where they had quotas for black students yeah. and basically they gave entry for black students into degrees where they hadn't met the, the academic requirements. The academic requirements. Mm. So black students were getting into the really top universities yeah. like MIT yeah. where they may not have been justified in being there because mm. they did not have the score. Mm. And the problem that developed was that you could have a, uh, you know, a black math student who was in the top 10% in America, like a really bright guy. Mm. But if he gets into, say, uh, MIT, the top university in the, in the engineering or math department, mm. you've got the top 1% there. You've mm. got the super bright guys. Yeah. Like just being in the top 10%, you're, you are comparatively dumb. You are going to struggle and you're... you're um, actually going to become disheartened because you're surrounded by guys mm. or girls yeah. who are super brains, mm. essentially. Yeah. You're in the wrong place. You're not with the cohort you should mm. be in. And what they found was that there was a high rate of dropout oh, okay. yeah. because these people couldn't keep up mm. with the average of the class, mm. which made sense mm. because they didn't have the entry average of the class. What also happened was the... Uh, you know, the top students were going into the super top universities. The average students were then being bumped up into top uh, universities and, mm. and below average students were being bumped up into average universities. So, so because of the quota system, uh, a whole range of black students, mm. under the good intentions of mm. getting them into better universities, yeah, giving them a leg were up. being placed in a cohort that was well above their their ability, mm. disheartened, dropping out. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they abandoned that and they actually found that their retention rates and graduation rates mm. improved because oh, okay. they were in a class of... That was of, appropriate their peers for their level, were appropriate. Yeah. Mm. And the other downside of that was that uh, 
the white kids in this example would regularly see black kids struggling and they then begin to um, uh, get a subconscious or a conscious belief that why is it all the black kids are struggling? Like they, mm. they mustn't be very bright. Like mm. so, it, it reinforces it, it, ex- racial stereotypes. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. So um, so all of that could well happen with the female university students. Uh, what a bad decision. Yeah. So. It's, it surprises me that the anti discrimination board actually okayed it because it's clearly discriminatory. Isn't it? Yes, but you know this is why they have exceptions if they see that there is a need to uh, social engineer. Yes, indeed. So do you know females get into a social engineering course more easily as well? I wonder. I don't know. Do we hear of um, not enough men in kindergartens or in primary school teaching? Do we hear where there are lower? uh, It may happen, but do we hear of lower? Just um, teaching generally. Uh, the teaching degrees generally, they're yeah. have, having to lower the requirements just to attract right. people to do, do the courses. But, but do they lower it for men uh, because no, for there's a lack of I men in, in primary oh, schools, see. for example? I haven't heard of it. I mean, I don't know. but I think men have basically mm-hmm. largely given up applying right. for those sorts of jobs right. because they just do right. not want to risk... Uh, you know, losing a career on an accusation of improper yeah. behaviour. Yeah. Yep. You know, I mean, I, as you know, I, I'm an ex-high school teacher. Mm. I still recall clearly one special class that we had at university um, where a guy came along and I forget, I think he was a teacher. He was an experienced teacher. And do you know what he told us? He said, if you're, he said in terms of avoiding accusations of improper touching, for example. He said, you female students, you can get away with it. You can, you know, if you see a a distressed kid, you can put your arm around that distressed kid, you know, hold them up up to your breasts and, you know, give them a good cuddle and make them feel better. He said, if you're a male student, he said, just don't touch them. Mm -hmm. And that was, it was as clear as that. Just don't touch the students if you're a male. Mm was stark yep and never be left alone in a room yes that too like that with a female student yeah yeah yep yep. so yeah that's that um what's going on in the chat room um i think they're agreeing with us i think i dealt with andrew's comment was what the point i eventually got to um uh kieran previously in facebook remember we spoke about the public servant who did 9,000 tweets. Oh, that woman who was against the fired. immigration department yeah, that yeah. she was a member of. And she lost her and job. And she lost her job. Yeah. And uh, I, at the time, said I thought that was fair enough because we want our public servant to at least appear to be impartial mm. and to give fairness to whoever might come across their death and and also to obey the instructions of the minister who might, you know, like it or not, you just would do what a minister would say uh, because he's the minister. Yeah, Uh, I think I defended it, didn't I? I think I said... You normally disagree with me, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) And um, there's a message from Kieran who said that the case read the public servant was a very extreme set of facts. Extreme too were the lengths to... Uh, links the employer went to in order to breach the public servant's anonymity. 
you should consider the import of that decision on more mundane scenarios. Does this decision enable the dismissal of, say, an immigration department employee for liking one of your posts in relation to private school funding or mm. school chaplains? Mm. If not, why not? If so, do you think it's still fair enough? So, well, for an immigration department employee to like a post about private school funding or school chaplains, that would be sort of irrelevant to the immigration department. So I don't see that they uh, they should not be sacked for, for that. Um, but if, for example, I had made posts regarding immigration issues and they liked it, they shouldn't be sacked either because if it's just a handful or just a normal number of interactions. But I think it did depend on the facts in that case. 9,000 was extreme. It really painted a picture of somebody who could not be unbiased. They mm. sound, it just painted a picture of somebody who, who couldn't be unbiased from the point of view of potential applicants and from the point of view of bosses instructing her to do things. But, so, but shouldn't they have mm. to find some evidence that that bias impacted on her work? Well, you see, you, you reach a point, though, where for the public service to operate, you need also the appearance of, you know, justice must not only be done, it must be seen to be done, done, you know. And and if it would put a cloud over a lot of decisions if that obvious bias, if the decision maker has such an obvious bias. Mm. So um, so I think it just really did depend in that case on a quite extreme Mm. set of facts. Yeah, look, I'm still not convinced. I think what people, you know, the, the political views they express in private I think should be... And, and nine times out of ten, I would agree. But <laughs> I think there are some times where some people just make themselves ineligible, mm. uh, either because the role is particularly sensitive mm. or because their actions are just particularly over the top mm. or a combination of both. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, anyway, there you go. Um, I, think, I think we're nearly done, mm-hmm. Paul. Um, let me see. Uh, Any other trivial items that have uh, no. caught your attention? Andrew says it's worrying to see teaching entry requirements dropping. Doesn't that create a loop effect? So, well, does that create a loop effect if our, what do you, you were saying the teaching effect? entry requirements have dropped? Yes, so, apparently. That's, so that's the caliber of been teachers. a trend in recent years. Mm. So the caliber of... Teachers, I can. I know that, um, like in Queensland, we had OP scores, and I know that you could have an OP of 15, which was pretty Pretty low, low. and be getting to teaching at Australian Catholic University. And really, if you've got 15, what have you been doing at school? Like, you haven't, you've just been coasting, haven't you? Really, or less, yeah. Um, and you know, people would argue that it's, it's, um. It's a case of where they they need to attract people by offering higher salaries. Yeah. I mean, teachers, you know, it's it's a very mixed cohort, I have Mm. to say, um, from my experience. You know, you meet really a a very big variety of of not only intelligence and, you know, intellectual capacity, but, you know, personalities, ideologies, all that sort of thing. It's Mm. a very mixed group. Mm. But, you know, they do an important job. And, you know, they're entrusted with high responsibility. Mm. They should be paid accordingly, I think. Mm. I mean, what do you think about teachers' salaries? They're, 
they're sort of not terrible, but they're not brilliant Look, either. And they're teacher comparable friend, teacher to police salaries. Did you know that? Well, I think well, police get very similar salary levels. Well, well, teachers in Queensland who are sort of in their middle age now are earning around 100000 aren't That's they? right. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's not it's, about your age. It's about how many years you've been teaching. Okay. So after you've worked nine years, in your 10th yeah. year you get the highest right. uh, salary level, which is currently, I think, in Queensland, 99000 per annum. Right. If you're a new graduate, it's around 60000 per annum. Right, yep. Straight out of university. Yeah, good money. Is yeah. it? Yeah, I think so. I think that's... But um, police get a similar salary, yeah, don't they? Yeah. Um, but I think... I mean, they have an important job as well. And, mm. I, you know, I think police should be uh, reasonably well re- remunerated as well. Yeah. But... Um, it all sounds about right. Do you I think? Don't, it doesn't yeah. strike me as wrong okay. either way. All right. Mm. Mm. I don't know. Mm. But well, clearly... You think, you think it's high, do you? For police or low for teachers? I think it's low for teachers. Oh, okay. You think it's... Okay. Yeah. I, d- I don't think police should be low, low paid. Mm. Not at all. I think they should be, uh, you know, appropriately remunerated. And it, you know, lessens the temptation for corrupt practices. Do you think a police should be paid less than a teacher? It's a hard call, isn't it? Depends what they're doing because, again, a police... There's a big It's spectrum, a dangerous job. And there's a big spectrum of what you're doing. Yes. Like, uh, if... If and it's, it's often a very hard job, a very um, you know f- demanding job on mm. on on a person personally. Mm. But look, I think if if teachers are not, or if young people are not being drawn to the profession because mm. they think they've got better prospects elsewhere, then yeah, I think maybe we need to offer higher salaries mm. to get good quality uh, graduates. Mm. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't really looked at comparative salaries in mm. the different professions, so don't. It just sounded about right to me. Mm. So particularly because I often, just in my circles, have situations where it's husband and wife are both teachers, okay. or you know, the wife yeah. is a teacher and husband's working in something else. Mm-hmm. So they're double income. Yeah, and together it's a pretty handy income. That's but, true. Particularly if there's no private school yeah. fees involved, like you, to- can, you can accumulate a fair. Surplus. Two incomes yeah. of that level, uh, people can live reasonably yeah. well. And teaching is a profession where, because uh, of the holidays, um, you know, if you've got kids, at least you're taking in the holidays at the same time yeah, as the kids. So true. it is one where double income is more possible yeah. than But look, jobs. the holidays are not as extensive as yeah. people assume because a lot of teachers end up Maybe not in the summer holiday, the longer one, but in the other holidays, teachers often end up doing work yeah. during the holiday, at least yeah. during part of but it. But you're around at least where you don't need to pay for babysitters in that sense. You That's know, true. Whereas other jobs, if you've just got four weeks, then yeah. you, you've got... That's n- true. So, yeah, okay, you might be having to do work at home. That's another thing about mm. police. Do you know police, I, th- I believe, get about six weeks paid yeah. leave a year too. Yeah. They get pretty good leave conditions. Yeah. Um, Although they may be on call, you know, a lot of the time when they'd rather be with their family too, you know. There's sometimes mm. when they have to show up for work, you know, during public holidays when there are big events on and mm. extra uh, personnel are required. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, and Andrew says there's a big difference in the teaching job depending on the socioeconomic group that the school lives in. I reckon the wrong side of the tracks makes a big difference. It's a huge difference. Right there. Absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, teachers, those teachers who are listening would Mm. agree that if you 
work in a private school mm. where discipline is much less of a problem, mm. um, particularly a, an expensive private school mm. where they will just say to the parents, I'm sorry, we don't have a place for your child because yep. they're just not, you know, behaving appropriately. Mm. Uh, public school teachers don't have that luxury, you know. Yeah. They have to put up with every single type of behaviour. Yes. And it's often very challenging. But can a good public school teacher get themselves shuffled off into a better socioeconomic area? Like the better teacher you are, do you get you get to apply for jobs in in the better schools and then obviously stay there? Like Look, the it, problem it... with it is public schools everywhere have to accept whoever is yeah. in their catchment area. Yeah, but some schools are just far better than others. There's obviously preferred schools that There are. Yeah. There yeah, are. And and if you're but, but they're mm. they're few and far between. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So the public schools basically mm. you know, they'll all to mm. some degree have some behaviour issues. Yeah. Some of the better ones will have less but they'll still have some behaviour issues. Yeah, you know. yeah. And, of course, this is the issue when people talk about uh, private school funding mm. and, oh, I pay my taxes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the money that would have been used in a, in a pr- public yeah. school on my child, I should be able to use that money on a private school and top it up. Yeah. And the point is, well, you've just averaged out the cost of in- educating children. Yeah. But the cost is not average. It varies greatly. And the more disadvantaged areas, the harder it is and the more And they need use, more yeah. resources. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, we've had this discussion before, mm. but I, I think the analogy of, you know, our taxes, mm. our taxes build roads, mm. you know, uh, and, pu- and provide public transport. But should, you know, should we be able to say, well, I don't use the public transport system, mm. so I want my, my share of that tax... <laughs> to go into my BMW because I'm tired of driving a Hyundai, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, it's the uh, – it's Australia's um, – what do we call it? Our, our, it's our gun control. Like mm. private schools in Australia yeah. Are, yeah. are like gun control in America. A little bit. We, we don't get it that the rest of the world is completely different. We yeah. don't understand it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Right. Um had enough? <laughs> I think so. Final one, Warren says, public schools need more authority to sack underperforming teachers. Oh, yeah. Well, that's... that's it's hard it. to measure. It, it's very hard to measure what is underperforming, you know. Mm. Um, don't know. Because mm. mm. some, some teachers might be very good in their subject area, but... Uh, not have the sort of personality that the kids warm to, and mm. and that in itself can provoke behavioural issues. Yeah, you know they might be brilliant in their field, in their subject area, and have a lot to share with the kids, but the kids just don't like them. So instead of paying attention to the the class, they play up. Yeah, I have a sense in the school system that there's a lot of bullshit reporting that you would or oh. things that you would do. Uh, that would impress the authorities yeah. and help you um, meet KPIs. That's right. That in fact are useless, but are seen by the department as being valuable I dare or say by the headmaster, yeah. and that be good for people who might be hopeless teachers, mm. but can fulfil the the criteria yeah. that um, and can work the system. It's such a difficult yeah. thing to measure. Mm. Um, uh, you know. It's a very difficult thing to measure. Although I suppose NAP plan measures 
progress, but you don't get the kids. You know, you've got them for a year and mm. you might have progressed them, but it's it's sort of a, a two or three year process to really turn around some kids who might have been with a poor teacher. One yeah. year is probably not enough. And, you know, kids don't and necessarily that, have the same teacher for that two or three year period yeah. that you could associate the NAP plan. And there's more to teaching them. than just feeding mm. knowledge to kids to help them pass a test, isn't mm. it? Yeah. You know? But what Warren says, it's the same as any other profession in terms of how do we assess who's underperforming. Well, no, Is Warren. It? Like, I don't think so. In a sales force, you can you can just look at sales that's, figures quite often, right. and you can compare this year with last year. Yeah. You know, same. Uh, you know, you've got harder numbers yeah. you can often deal with. In law firms, you've got charge out rates and chargeable mm. hours. You've mm. got. Uh, you know, there's some softer issues as well if you're in management as to how you're mentoring young people. But um, no, it's much harder to measure. Yeah, Absolutely. and yeah, tricky. So anyway, right. Well, that's us done and dusted okay. for another episode. Thank you, dear listener. Thank you on the live stream. We'll be back next week, probably with Scott. I'd say. Mm, let's hope. And um, hope you're feeling better, Scott. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye for now. Bye. Marty quit drinking. Found religion for a while. I didn't love that. To be honest, I preferred him before. He had a sense of humor then. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favor to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said and when you're talking to your friends say hey I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to and maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out the other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just It'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event... You can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.